0: Thanks to Bambi for supporting my show. HR manager salaries average $70,000 a year. Only Bambi gives you a dedicated HR manager for just $99 a month. Get your free HR compliance audit at Bambi.com slash dream job. spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash dreamjob. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So... I'm really excited because I'm going to be doing a five-day free workshop. Have any of you ever come to any of my free five-day challenges? I love spending this time with you guys because I know you listen to the podcast, but then we get to actually hang out and it's really fun and I'm I'm there. I'm all in. You know how I I teach is I don't usually over-prepare. I don't have any scripts. There's no slideshows. It's not like this big webinar. It's just me and you, open heart just dropped in and giving you the best of what I have to give. And so we're going to be spending five days together. It's free. You can sign up at kathyheller.com slash challenge. This one is called your soul's calling. And for five days, we're going to talk about what is it that you are being called to do here. I do believe that everyone has been given a divine assignment. All of us, each one of us is needed to make the world complete. It's like a puzzle. And if any one of us is missing, that puzzle doesn't actually become whole. And so it's my mission to empower every person that I could possibly connect with to show you clearly that there is something inside of you that never was, never will be. And so we will spend five days together and talk about how do you identify it? How do you have the courage to act on it? And how do you take it and live into that potential and step into your greatness? So come join me for five days. It's going to start um, June 7th, but you can sign up now. Go to kathyheller.com slash challenge. It's going to be amazing. Uh today we have an awesome episode. John Acuff is here. He's a New York Times bestselling author of seven books. He's also a speaker and a podcaster. You might know some of his popular books like Start, Punch Fear in the Face, Escape Average and Do Work That Matters, Finish, Give Yourself the Gift of Done. His newest book is really something I think everybody needs. It's called Soundtracks: The Surprising Solution to Overthinking, and it gives you a proven plan to change overthinking from a super problem into a superpower. You can DJ your own soundtracks. You can change the things that you're thinking constantly. And you can give your dreams and your creativity more airtime. It's a really incredible book. So definitely go check it out. Also, you can listen to John's podcast, All It Takes is a Goal. And his show shares tricks and techniques to help you get from where you are to where you want to go. I love talking to John because of how open and vulnerable he is. He doesn't just share the struggles from the past, but he talks a lot about his, his recent challenges and I think is incredibly courageous to be that kind of person. We're all a work in progress and that's really okay. He also shares a ton of juicy advice on changing your thoughts and the way you treat yourself. So I know that you'll learn a lot from this episode. You might want to take notes. Without further ado, please welcome the brilliant John Acuff. John, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. You are adorable. He yeah. was saying to me, you guys, before we started, he's like, how do I live up to this? You've had Rob Lowe. I'm like, you're just as cute as Rob Lowe. Um, well, and- yeah, but I can't do sultry. Um, or funny, like mysterious. I you're mysterious. Not no one's ever been like, there's
1: something going on that he's not telling Ooh. us. No, I'll tell you everything. <laughs> I will tell you everything.
0: I love it. Well, we're going to make sure that that happens today. So John is, for anybody who doesn't know for some reason, he's a New York Times bestselling author, written so many great books, has had such an incredible journey. And we're going to go a little bit out of chronological order because his newest book, you guys, Oh, John, if you only knew. People think when they see the guest list of the show, they think, oh, your most popular episodes correlate to your most famous guest. No, I did an episode once, two years ago, and it was titled How to Stop Overthinking. It's our most downloaded episode. And here you come today. Look at you, (laughs) writing a book about overthinking. Yes. So I want to start there just because like, let's give the people what they want. And then we can kind of go back a little bit into your journey So you wrote this book called Soundtracks. It just came out April 6th. And this is about what is the plan to overcome overthinking because it is such a problem. And you guys have let me know it's such a problem. So I want you to tell us why did you write this book? And then we're going to get into what is the secret to it all.
1: So I wrote the book. There's three things I always look for um, when I write a book. Um, I look for a personal connection. Am I deeply personally connected to the content? If you're starting a podcast, you're starting a side business, whatever you're starting and launching onto the world, I think you have to have a personal passion, a personal connection. The second thing I look for is, is there a need? Do people actually need it? Have I been you know, in conversations, online? Um, and the third thing I look for is, is there a spot for me in the marketplace? Is there room? And so personal connection in 2008, I started changing the way I think, and it changed my entire life. Like not instantly, not overnight, because good things always take good time, but it really changed the whole course of my life, my career, my job, what I was capable of doing. And so I've always thought, okay, is that something other people could benefit from? I've always kind of been curious. Um, the second thing, the researcher who I work with, this guy named Mike Peasley, he's a PhD. Um, we asked 10,000 people if they struggle with overthinking. So he said, 10,000 people, do you struggle with overthinking? Over 99.5% of people said yes. And it's one of those things that everybody thinks they're the only one, but actually it's everyone. And this was before 2020. 2020 was catnip for overthinking. Like how I've been saying it is everything is a thing. Like the reason you're overthinking right now is everything is a thing. The other day somebody went to shake my hand and before they did, I was like, should I refuse? Should I give them the elbow? Should I give them a fist bump? Should I shake it? But then put my hand into a huge vat of hand sanitizer as if to say, I'm just scrubbing off this deadly pandemic. You tried to murder me with, sir. Is this a room? <laughs> like is everyone in the room shaking hands? What does insane. that say politically? Two years ago, do you know what I thought when somebody tried to shake my hand? I shook their hand. There wasn't a single thought. So everybody's overthinking. And then the marketplace. I went in, and there's some great books about overthinking, but a lot of them say stop it, stop it, stop it, and they come from this place of stop doing it. And my my opinion is one that's impossible. And two, why would I ever turn off this amazing machine? I'm really good at thinking. What if I just fed it with thoughts that helped me, not thoughts that hurt me? Like if you can worry, you can wonder. If you can spin, you can soar. If you can doubt, you can dominate. So what if I figured out how to turn my overthinking from a super problem into a superpower. And once I had those kind of the Venn diagram of, in my opinion, of a good idea, I was like, I'm willing to invest multiple years of my life into this topic oh and gosh. launch it out into the world because I think it'll help people.
0: I think it's amazing. You've already been so, so uber successful, but I can only imagine where this is going to take you because it is, it is so pervasive. This is the number one thing that people tell me gets in their way. So let's go back to 2008. You said something happened that changed the way that you were thinking. And what was that?
1: Well, I was stuck. I had hit a career ceiling um, in my early thirties, which is intimidating because you think like it'll happen in my late forties. Maybe I'll have a midlife crisis, but I just hit a career ceiling. There was nowhere else to go with this job. I had the set of skills I had didn't seem like there was a way forward. Um, I just remember sitting in um, a parking lot at like 6 a.m. in the dark in Atlanta. Like, and I was listening to Jimmy Eat World, The Middle. Like, that was my fire up song. Like, that would launch me into the building. And it's 100% a song about a high school sophomore girl. But I was like, it doesn't matter. This is a song about me. (laughs) He's talking to me. He's talking to me. This is Jimmy Eat World. I am in the middle. And so I was stuck and I started this blog in the midst of all this and an event planner out of nowhere reached out and said, hey, will you come speak at our event? And i had never done that. I had no evidence in my life that I could do that. I didn't know people did that or got paid for it. All I had was one thought. I had this thought, I think I can do that. And the thought is what I started with. And then I, I turned that thought into a ton of action. And then I turned those actions into a lot of results, but it started with just the thought. And the thought is what carried me through multiple rejections, things not going well. Cause I just kept going, I think I can write a book. I think I can be a public speaker. So I'm gonna continue to lean into that thought and use that. I'm gonna overthink that thought versus all the thoughts that tell me I can't do something. And that, it moved me to Nashville. Um, It helped me hit the New York Times bestsellers list. It's made me, you know, had me travel around the world talking to companies. And so that's what I got curious to go, do other people need to learn how to change their thoughts? Because the crazy thing is, most people don't understand they get to change their thoughts. Most people think a thought is something they have, not something they hone. Like it just shows up and we have no control. Um, even my most type a high performance friends who will lay out their clothes the night before they go to the gym. Cause it ensures they'll go. Don't pick their thoughts before a big situation. They don't go. I got a business negotiation coming up on Thursday. Here's the three soundtracks that I want playing in that meeting. So I'm confident like for me, I've been taken advantage of in business situations and it would be easy for a broken soundtrack to get loud and go every situation somebody's trying to take advantage of you and then I show up in this meeting with really tight fists and I'm looking okay like where's the trap where's the trap versus being open to a new business endeavor. And so once you learn you can choose your thoughts and change them and create the thoughts you want. I think everything changes.
0: Mm, It's so powerful. Wow. You can choose it just like you would choose what clothes you're going to wear. And I love it because the book is called soundtracks and it really is a soundtrack. I spent a week doing this Joe Dispenza meditation retreat, like in November. And I've, I've spent a lot of time looking into stopping and getting centered. Right. And it is amazing sort of the neural pathways that we just keep making these grooves of like, we fire this thought and wire it to this feeling and fire it and wire it, fire it and wire it. And I did just have Maya Bialik on who has a PhD in neuroscience. And she's like, it's absolutely true. Like you can make new grooves. You can change it, right? There is a neuroplasticity. So let's talk about that. In your book, you talk about the three R's, right? To change this. Let's talk about what those three R's are and how we can maybe fire and wire new thoughts.
1: So the the goal of the book is I want to help you do three things. I want to help you retire your broken soundtracks. And a soundtrack is just my phrase for a repetitive thought. Um, some people say a thought is a leaf on a river or a car on the highway, cloud right. in the sky. For me, it's a soundtrack that plays in the background. And often you don't even notice it because you've heard it so many times. And that's, what's interesting to me, like a soundtrack can change an entire movie where if you see a scene where it's a beautiful house and it's a neighborhood and there's yeah. kids playing outside and then you play an ominous soundtrack, suddenly you're like, there's definitely a clown in the sewer, like something. It's and that rocks pipe. the cradle.
2: Something's exactly. happening.
1: Like something is horrible. Or if they play a really poppy, if they play the, Nessa Carlton, thousand miles. You're like, all right, somebody's making their way downtown. Like I get it. Like, this is good <laughs> stuff. So I really believe that those soundtracks change your day. They change your life. They change your conversations. And so the first thing is you retire broken soundtracks. The second thing is you replace them with new ones. And the third thing is you repeat them so often they become as automatic as the old ones. And you're right. Like the way I like to say it is every time you hear a broken soundtrack, you put another handle on it and it's only easier to pick up next time. So those things you've been carrying around for 10 years are covered with handles. That's why you can be five minutes late to the car rider pickup line as a working mom and instantly go, I'm the worst mom. And it erases all the good stuff that happened that day. It erases that you got your kids out the house, you worked a full-time job, you did all these amazing things and immediately you're two minutes late and you go, I'm the worst mom. It's because you've heard that soundtrack a thousand times and it's, it's so easy for it to automatically play. So my goal is I want to help you retire them Replace them and repeat them. And the goal of the book is I like to take complex subjects and then make them really sticky with really simple ideas that you can actually use on a Thursday that you can actually say. So if I was one of your listeners right now, I'd be going, okay, well, how do I even find a broken soundtrack? Like, how do I even do that? And here's this is the easiest, fastest way. Write down a desire, write down something you care about. I want to start a podcast. I want to ask somebody on a date. Um, I, you know, I've got divorced after 20 years and there's a guy I've always wanted to go out with. I want to get a promotion. I want to do whatever, write down a desire and then listen for your first reaction.
2: Mm. What's the
1: first thought you hear? Because every reaction is an education. Like that's one of the soundtracks I teach people. Every reaction is an education. Okay. What did you just hear? And if it's not helpful to you, if it's not pushing you forward, it might be pulling you back, which is a broken soundtrack.
0: Mm. That is so good. I've been thinking so much about our listeners and the conversations I have and how much of the time they're just in that resistance, you know, they're in, but there's scarcity out there. Nobody will buy this for me or nothing works out for me, or I'm not good enough at this. And that resistance, it feels so true and it feels so matter of fact, and it feels so heavy well, see, i fam-
1: familiar too. Just because something's familiar doesn't mean it's true. Like we think that because we've heard it a thousand times, it must be true. I, you know, one of the things I say in the book is one of the worst things you can do is believe everything you think is true. And, and so like when you go through the, the book, I think a lot of people's first reaction is, oh my gosh, I had no idea how many broken soundtracks I was listening to. Like I had no idea how many were on repeat. Um, and I think it's really easy to get there. I think it's really common. And it's all, you know, the books have already been out only a week, but the changes I'm seeing from people are amazing. Like, I just feel this is one of those books where I don't feel like I forced it. It felt more like I received it. Like mm-hmm. I get to be part of this book and I get to sit here and go, oh my gosh, like look what's happening. And and that's
0: amazing. It, it totally is. I think that we're all seeking whatever you want to call it. I mean, I say it's God. Some people say it's goodness or love or compassion. We all want the presence of that goodness of God in our life. And the best way to feel that is to give to other people, right? To make somebody else's day better. And when you get to do that, which that's what you're referring to, it feels so good. And that is the thing that I think everyone listening wants to be able to do is to contribute, to feel a sense of purpose. And these thoughts get in the way. And the biggest thing that comes is... I don't feel like I'm enough. I'm not worthy to do this mission. I'm a fraud, this imposter syndrome. So let's say John, you've identified that that's the soundtrack. Let's the let's soundtrack- jump into
1: imposter syndrome. Let's jump right into that one. I have, I'll give you a brand new soundtrack for that. And it's just one word. So like, that's, that's the other thing. I'm not going to give you a thousand words. The worst thing you can give an overthinker is an 800 pound book. That's like throwing water on a drowning person. So a woman the other day said to me, John, how do I get over imposter syndrome? And I thought that's a really good question. And so I said, well, I think the broken soundtrack in that, phrase is the word over because over is a word of perfectionism. Over indicates I climbed over a wall and I'm done with this thing. I've put it behind my life forever. I told her trade out the word over for through. How do I go through imposter syndrome? I've written seven books, some of them New York Times bestsellers. There's still days where I feel like I'm an imposter. I'm not a real writer. I go through imposter syndrome. I don't get over it because if I tell myself you'll get over it every time I feel stressed again, I feel like a failure. And so what I teach people is I don't always agree when somebody says you can become a hundred percent fearless. And the reason why is I think at every new level, every new change, there's some degree of new fear. So the first time I spoke to a hundred people, I had a hundred person size fear, but I worked on that room and I got better and then I got over it. But then thousand people, okay, well, that was new. I'm going to, I had to stretch myself, thousand person fear, 10,000 people, same thing. So what I like to tell people, a soundtrack that's been helpful to me is fear gets a voice, not a vote it gets a voice. It's going to be there. Like it's part of the conversation. It's there, but it doesn't get a vote. It doesn't get to sit at the table and bang a gavel and go, here's what we're doing. Cause I know what it's going to say. It's going to say we should never do that. We're not qualified for that. So for me, that's how I work on getting through imposter syndrome. I recognize and go, <laughs> that's right. So I had hoped book two would fix it. I hate to tell you, I wrote a second book, did not fix it. Then I was like, book three will definitely, it's the same like It's so easy to go the next thing, the next thing, the next thing versus just going, well, I'm going through this. And I have a couple of things I do when I go through this, that kind of bring me back to where I want to be. And I'm going to do those versus going, I'm a failure because I still have not gotten over imposter syndrome.
0: Yeah. I love that. So let's say you decide that that feels really good. Everyone just heard you and there. They want to do those three R's. They want to retire the first one and replace it, but it doesn't seem to stick. The new anthem, the new thought. How do we get it to be the new soundtrack, not just the "oh, that feels really good"? But I'd be lying to him if I said that it's going to stick. Now, after I listen to this episode, sure. it's not. Yeah,
1: and it a hundred percent. I mean, one of the things I tell people is don't give the problem a year and the solution a week. And what I mean by that is so many people go. I tried to lose, I tried exercise It doesn't work for me. And I'll go, well, how long did you do it? And they will say 10 days. And I'll say, well, how long did it take you to gain the weight? And they'll say 10 years. So they gave the problem 10 years to develop and the solution 10 days. And then they judge the solution on a 10-day window. That's so unkind to you. So what I would say there is if you got a new soundtrack, like it's this tiny precious new thing that you're sending up against this broken soundtrack, that's been lifting weights in like a prison gym for like 10 years, it's going to take some time. So I'd say, let's be one. Let's give ourselves lots of grace. Like one of the soundtracks I've been telling people to listen to this year is this is my first global pandemic. This is my first global pandemic. Like, because no one has gone through this yet. We're all amateurs, but I keep meeting moms that'll go, I'm the worst at virtual school. I'm terrible at it. And I'll say, yeah, you you should be. You've never done it. And one of the hardest times to learn something brand new is during a deadly global pandemic. So what if you just gave yourself that gift to say, I write it down on a piece of paper and I put it by my computer. I put it on the fridge. Oh yeah, this is my first global pandemic. I made so many mistakes. Like, Because none of your listeners would go, actually, John, this is my 50th global pandemic and I'm a little embarrassed it's taking me this this long to kind of figure out some stuff. So I think a lot of it is you give yourself grace and then you get creative. You learn, that's the repeat part. You learn how to say, okay, I'm going to put it multiple places in my house so I see it over and over again. I'm going to tell a friend so that that friend holds it with me too. I'm going to tie it to a symbol. I'm going to creatively find ways to practice that new soundtrack, not just go, I tried it once, it didn't work because nothing you try once works. Like everything is better on multiple drafts and multiple versions. So that, that's what I would say there. I, yeah, I would never say, okay, it's going to change everything overnight. I would say though that there are times in your life where when you bump into the truth, it can change more than you possibly think. When you And we've all had that. Where we thought we knew how a situation was going to go, we got some information. We had a neighbor who was the worst, and we found out her mom has cancer, and this is killing her. And knowing that, that little bit of information, that one sentence changed our view of who they were as a neighbor, how we should interact with them. So I do think there's times where you can get... A true soundtrack, a new soundtrack, and it'll change more than you possibly think, but then it comes into the work of doing things to make it stick, um, so yeah, I would never say, Okay, you try it once, and if it doesn't work, just give it up. I would say, fight for the things that matter to you, and there's some creative ways to do that
0: amazing, and in the book, we don't have to go through all of them, but you have ten quick and free ways to like you know to to dial it back let 's just talk about a few of those ways
1: yeah, so i you know one of the things that really changed me with the book cuz the book last year when you know my I essentially lost my job like the majority of my job is public speaking last march every event I had got that I had planned got canceled to put on pause so I found myself in the trenches and was like okay what do I do but fortunately I spent all this time learning how to choose my thoughts and so I felt like the world had just got covered with water but I had spent 2 years learning how to swim so I couldn't wait for the book to come out because I saw so many people going I feel underwater and I was like wait a second so one of the things in the book that I thought was helpful came from a guy named David Thomas. And David Thomas is this brilliant counselor here in Nashville, where I live. And I was talking to him about this concept. And he said, John, the problem with negative thinking is people want to find a switch. They think there's a switch they can find. And once they do, they can turn it off and they'll never have that negative thought again. And he said, but the problem is you, you jump from switch to switch to switch. So you try the new thing. And for two weeks, yoga is really satisfying, but then life gets messy and life gets real. And you go, oh, well, yoga didn't work. Let me find another one. He said, it's better to think of it as a dial. Life gets loud. Your dial gets turned up and then you get to go, oh, I see that it's at a nine. What are the handful of things that I can use to turn it down? And so I, I like to teach what I call turn down techniques. And they're always, they're always personal to the person. What works for me might not work for somebody else, but I know for me, running is one of them. Like I need endorphins. And sometimes i forget get that. And if I go for a week or two without it, my wife will go, I feel like you should maybe go run. And that's her way of being like, you're kind of a huge jerk right now. Um, <laughs> so that would, and so, yeah, so I encourage people to go, okay, what, what are my turn down techniques and how do I have a list of them? So that when life gets loud, so when something unexpected happens, I know how to turn it back down and I know it's going to happen. That's, you know, I'm a, I've got two teenage daughters, like there's unexpected challenges being a parent and I can't perfectly manicure my life in a way that'll prevent those from happening. What I can do is say, okay, when they do happen and the dial gets up, how do I turn them back down?
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm loving this conversation, but first we're just going to thank our sponsor. When you're running a business, HR issues can be so awful. It's a headache to deal with wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and HR manager salaries aren't cheap. In fact, they're an average of $70,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. Plus, your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. They can help with onboarding, terminations. They also customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day, all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you're basically turning HR from your biggest liability into your biggest strength. It's month-to-month, there's no hidden fees, and you can cancel at any time. I didn't start a business to spend time on HR compliance. And I know that that's not your goal either. Let Bambi help and get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash dream job right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash dream job spelled Bambi to the B-E-E.com slash dream job. I think one of the things that's interesting, one of the questions that's hardest for people to answer where a lot of overthinking comes in is what do I want?
1: Oh, it's a terrifying question. That is one of the scariest questions you can ask people. You think it's going to be this free like brainstorm session? No, it's terrifying because a lot of times they do not even know they have the permission to ask that and they'll tell you something they think they should want. I was just writing about this the other day. One of the saddest experiences for me is I used to go speak at a lot of colleges and I'd have juniors and seniors come up to the table about to graduate, about to go to law school, and they'd kind of whisper and be like... I don't want to go to law school. Like I've never wanted to go to law school, but my mom said I'd be a good lawyer and and she never did it. And so I've chased her dream instead of mine. What do I do? And like, I'd rather them say it there where I really don't like it is when they're in an industry that they took $250,000 to go into and they hate what they're doing. And the only way to get out of that is to stay doing that. So I'd much rather them wrestle. But yeah, I think that all of us have a hard time with that question, especially, you know, I always joke that like, There's no such thing as dad guilt. Like it's barely a phrase in our country. Like I've like, it's not even a phrase, dad shame. I've never met another dude. That's like, man, I just spent all day on Instagram comparing my fatherhood to other fathers. And I feel emotionally low. Like, whereas the moms, like, I think one of the hardest things right now is you can compare easier than it's ever been. Like, I think we forget social media is new. It's we're toddlers. We're all toddlers. Like my mom in the 1980s couldn't compare her motherhood to any other moms except the five that lived in our cul-de-sac because Libby Acuff in Hudson, Massachusetts, didn't have access to a mom in Seattle, Washington, didn't have access to a mom in Houston, Texas. She couldn't see that now in 30 seconds, you can go online and have access to every amazing mom. And, and the, phrase, you know, the phrase I use sometimes is we've always had the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Just now we have access to 10 million backyards. And so I think that's part of the challenge too, is you go, okay, they get to have dreams. I don't get to have dreams or somebody, you know, yeah, that question though, you are a hundred percent right. I think that we could have like a 10 hour podcast on just that question. Like you are so right.
0: Yeah. I think part of it is like, you know, there is a thing as like decision fatigue. And like, when you actually ask somebody, what do you want? it's like, like you said, first of all, I didn't even know that that was an option for me to have what I want. Then people feel guilty for wanting more than they have. It's like, I, I, I notice there's a lot of shame around like, I should just be happy with what I have. Why should I want more money? Why should I want more? There's people who don't have, or who would I be to have more? Why should I have more? That comes up. And then it's like, well, if you're really asking what I want, I don't really want to want because I might get disappointed and things. Oh yeah, they're afraid out. to have
1: the hope because then, the, the, the bigger the hope, the bigger the hurt. So I'll just keep my hope small as a way right. to prevent big hurt. And you go, but that's not really a, that's not a fun way to live through life. Like no. deliberately keeping your hope small as a hurt prevention mechanism. Like yeah. I, one of the phrases I say is, "I'd rather I'd rather whole hurt than half hope. Like I'd rather get like fully into the mix of it than have these half hopes that I really never get to go." Oh man. But yeah, it is challenging. I think that's where part of this is that's where community comes into play. That's where having other people that you can have this conversation with other people that you can link arms with, whether that's in the form of a podcast, whether that's in the form of a, a Facebook private group, whether that's in the form of, you know, a small group that you're connected to. I think we need other people as we go down this journey.
0: Yeah. So for you, you said, you know, before, if you doubt you can dominate what is the anthem? What's the soundtrack now after you've been doing all this work since 2008? Like what is the soundtrack that you turn on that helps you to dominate, To helps you to actually have what you really want?
1: Yeah, well, I'll I'll grab one off my wall right here. So this one is a note card um, that I have sticking to my wall. I wrote it on August 27th last year, 2020. And all it says is ask for more, ask for more. I found myself in situations undervaluing what I was good at, my content, um, what I cared about. And so I realized, okay, I need a reminder that it's okay to ask for more. It's great to ask for more. More than often they have more and are like, oh yeah, sure, here's some more. And so another one, here's a this is like the same. Let's just take it from a business standpoint. I'll just grab stuff off the wall. This one uh says people are trying to give you money. Like people are trying to give you money because again, I was going into business situations with old hurt, with old broken soundtracks that had me looking for the booby trap of the deal versus what could this be? Like, what could this be? Um, Another one that I've been, that's been important to me is curiosity beats criticism. Curiosity beats criticism. Um, And that one came from, I was in a situation with a friend of mine named Jeremy Cowart. Um, He's a photographer, super successful. And one night we were on an airplane, we were flying to Portland to do an event together. And he said, I got this dream I've been working on. Uh, And I was like, what is it? And he's like, oh, it's called the Purpose Hotel. I want to build my own hotel where every part of it is tied to purpose. And he laid it out and it was gorgeous. And my face said, "Eh, you're just a photographer. And my voice said, my word said, are you sure? And I criticized it. And years later, he would say that really hurt my feelings. And I don't want to live like that. I don't because everybody does that thing. They share the thing and then they wait. They wait to see your reaction. And I put that story in the book because somebody who didn't react that way is Horst Schultz, the co-founder of the Ritz Carlton, like Jeremy's doing the hotel. So I don't want to, you know, I can't control the future. So I might as well, I can pick a positive prediction or a negative one. I'm going to pick curiosity. So instead of saying, you know, that won't work here. I wonder how that could work here. So little things like that. And so I think a lot of times what I would say to anybody, because I think it could be intimidating, like, let's take the, what do you want off the table just for a second? Cause that can be intimidating. I would just encourage you to start collecting soundtracks. Start listening, um, whether that's on a podcast or a conversation with a friend or a song lyric. I know one of mine, um, Patsy Claremont, amazing author. She's probably written 40 books. She's in her early 70s. We went to lunch and I was talking to her And she said, John, when I wrote my first book, the editor sent back all these edits with red ink. It was covered with red ink. And that felt like the book was dying. So I asked next time, use a different color. And she said, next time she sent back the edits with green ink. And this time, instead of dying, it felt like I was growing. And so I took from that, what if feedback wasn't an attack, but was an invitation to growth? Like, can you imagine how that would change the way I received feedback? So that's what I encourage people is like, just at least be curious, be a soundtracks collector. You don't, I would never sit you down and go, go with a blank piece of paper and try to good luck with the question. What do you desire in the entire world? Like that's too big. It might be, what do I want this week? You know, what do I want this, you know, this day, it doesn't have to be, tell me your next 10 year plan. Like, I think that cripples people, especially if they're already overthinking.
0: Yeah. I love that you were just so honest and like shared something about yourself that you didn't like that you said, I I feel like that doesn't happen on this podcast. That says a lot Oh, about no, you. I
1: like, I, there's things like, p- sometimes I think because you're like, you get verified or you have a book, like people think that you're, you're reflecting back on 40 years. Like, oh, I remember those mistakes from the seventies. And I wish my examples were older, but they're more like, oh, that's right. Like part of the reason I wrote this book in a different way was four years ago. My wife said, you're a jerk for two years when you write a book and you're a jerk for two years when you sell it. And that's not going to work. I'd rather you be a plumber Um, And be happy than be a writer and be miserable so like that's not working and I realized she was right and the reason and I think this is gonna be in my next book, I had this fuel of chaos and stress to produce like I was like a lot of high performers are afraid to lose their edge. And they're, they're afraid. So like what happened to me was years ago, I got in this bad business situation where I had to save the day. Like I had to get up at 5am and like, I had to do all this thing. And I learned I can function in a crisis. And that's a great lesson. That's a true soundtrack. But then over time it mutated into, I need a crisis to function. So then when there wasn't a crisis, I had to act like a crisis. I had to stir up a crisis and I was miserable to be around. I was miserable to live with. And so I had to come up with a new soundtrack. The soundtrack I wrote the book with is light and easy. Like this is going to be light and easy. The marketing of this is going to be light and easy. Like, how do I lean into that? Because that's sustainable.
0: It's so good. I had a conversation with my team the other day and I realized I have three daughters. My youngest is four and a half and I have not stopped launching. Like I literally am in a perpetual launch. So I'm either launching or fulfilling, launching or fulfilling. And in between like, I had a book come out. We have 400 episodes done of a podcast. Like I have a 4-year-old, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I have not taken a vacation and I'll have goals like okay, we're going to make 5 million, 10 million and we'll reach the goal. Kathy still has not gone on vacation.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: And I realized this is a trauma response. Like this is fascinating what comes up for me to think about like moving a launch and like taking time and making space, and it's like, think of like how productive certain people can be when you're under stress. Like how much more you could offer if you felt the feelings you're clearly trying to run from, or enjoyed the success you already created. Oh yeah,
1: no, I like celebrating. Like I guarantee your celebrations at those milestones were micro, if at all.
0: Like nothing. Like, They're anticlimactic. The next one. I'm They're on totally the, like.
1: Yeah, I wrote about that in the book where I realized one day I was the worst boss, like because I was about to go grind on something else after having like I forty eight times my business one year, like it grew by four a factor of forty eight times, and I was like, could have been fifty. I mean, it's fine, it's fine, and like I was all right. Uh, it's all
0: right. We can still go to the Olive Garden. I'll, I'll give it yeah, that. Exactly. Right? Like, oh, oh, yeah. yeah,
1: I mean the breadsticks are bottomless, thankfully, but <laughs> like I don't. This whole thing can fall apart at any moment. And yeah, I've had a bunch of people in my life that have helped me go. Okay. But, but what is, you know, what does that mean? Why are you doing that? I mean, I had the other day, my project manager said, um, I saw her at church and she was like, Hey, the other day in that meeting, the soundtrack I wrote down was I wish John would show up before his impatience. And she was like, you wrecked that meeting because you were stressed and you took it out on the team and it ruined us for like six more meetings. And I was like, Oh, it wasn't fun to hear, but she was right. And so I ended up apologizing to the team. Like, but I brought a lot of stress about something completely different into that and they were having like a light five minute casual conversation at the beginning. I was like, all right, let's go. That's great. I'm glad you had a weekend. This isn't about the weekend. Where are we on these numbers? And I was such a jerk. And so like, again, like having people that can tell you that, but also like being in touch with your feelings. Like one of my favorite things over the last two years, there's a guy named Ben that I go and walks with. He lives in my neighborhood. We go and walks once a week. And like two years ago, he said, Oh, I feel sad about this thing. And I was like, Oh, so we get to use the word sad. Interesting. That's good to know. And so then like, three months ago, we're in the woods on a walk. And he's like, what's going on? I say, you know what? I saw an opportunity that I missed. um, And it made me feel sad. And it made me feel afraid. It was the last opportunity of all the opportunities that I'll have. It made me feel dumb because I think everybody else would have been able to execute it. It made me feel jealous because I saw the person that got it. And then, so we kind of talked and he goes, well, let me ask you a question. If you got that opportunity, what would you have more of that you don't have now? And I was like, oh, that's a really good question. And then he said, if you got that opportunity, would you have gone deeper into your ego or deeper into your heart? And I didn't need a second to answer that one. And I said, I would have gone deeper in my, into my ego. And he said, well, then that makes me sad because I don't think you would have valued our walks and I would have missed this relationship. And here's the thing. I don't get to receive that gift. like Ben gave me a gift unless I first say, I have this feeling, this is a thing this week. Here's something I'm processing. Like if I go, everything's cool, just out here crushing it, just trying to, you know, like, and so when you can kind of get in touch with, you know, the thoughts you're having, what they're telling you, other people get to speak truth into them and go, wait a second. No, that's not the truth at all. Here's, here's the truth.
0: It's so beautiful, John. And honestly, this is turning into just one of the, my most favorite conversations. I'm so impressed. Like you could be this vulnerable and like dropped in, in general. And also because you're a guy, guys are not encouraged to have those conversations no, to say no. those words. Yeah, but we're
1: missing out on so many like gifts. That's why I think guys are grumpy. We're not getting all these gifts. I mean, like I fought fear forever, like just fought it, fought it, fought it, fought it. And then finally one day, and maybe I'll write about this at some point. I was like, I'm going to invite fear in for a cup of coffee. Like, let me just see what's going on. And I felt like fear came in. And so I, I just took a specific fear, like Monday morning at 7 a.m. I hear the soundtrack that goes, Oh, you're already behind this week is already a wreck. I'm like, it's freaking 7am on a Monday. Like I have every hour available. It's like, no, dude, we're so far behind. And so I brought that fear and I was like, Hey, let's, let's talk about what's going on. And I came to this place where I was like, I think you just have a lust for life. I think you actually have a really amazing lust for life. That's what this is. There's so many amazing things you could do and you're worried you won't get to do them that I think this is a lust for life. And let's talk about that. And I, I felt like the fear was like, whoa, I thought this was going to be way more violent. And I was like, why? And the fear reminded me, because a subtitle of one of my books was Punch Fear in the Face. So I felt like the fear was like, I thought you were going to punch me in the face because I mean, it's right there on the cover of your book. And I was like, oh, I can see how you didn't think that. But I think if you don't deal with your fear, you miss out on like 90% of self-awareness. When you don't deal with fear, you lose a really valuable education.
0: Yes. And this is why this is so good connected to this conversation about your new book, because very often people think that in order to replace the new soundtrack or crush the goals or or whatever they need to do, they're just going to do that part without noticing, like, if there's a feeling that needs to come up and be processed, like that will help you let go of the soundtrack. Like if you investigate it look at it. Like I, my husband, my husband's mom just passed away. So it was sad. And we're from LA, but during the pandemic, we moved to South Florida because I thought if I moved to South Florida and I had palm trees around me, I would cool it and work less. No, I've yeah, yeah, sure. worked three times as hard. So it, I, yeah. I noticed now wherever I go, it's not
1: the access to the trees that did it. That wasn't what, uh,
0: yeah, it didn't do it. it it's still my own, whatever my own thing that's happening here. But when he found out his mom was dying of cancer, he went back to LA. And when he went back to LA, I was running the business home with my three girls and they're homeschooled. And I started to feel all my feelings and I couldn't make it about him because he wasn't even here. And normally I could just be like, oh, you're the reason I'm stressed. You can be the substitute for me feeling my feelings. Instead, I was waking up with a cup of coffee before the kids would wake up, sit outside by the water and just cry my eyes out. And I didn't like it because I'm so positive and I'm such a doer yeah. and I'm such an yeah. achiever. And it was like a train hit me in the face and was like, you're gonna sit down and you're gonna feel this. And I had to sit and go, ooh, this was a gift, Kath. This was a gift. And he came back and you know we went through the funeral and all the other stuff. And and then I had processed a lot of it. So I, a lot of those tears have gone away. you know. And I, I know that that might happen again at some point in my life, but I look back, John, and I'm like, those days that I rolled out the welcome mat and said, "Whatever is here, you are welcome here," and I felt this kid inside of me who was like, "I feel abandoned." And I was like, "Ooh, where where have you been? Why yeah, what why did do you mean? show up? What's yeah. that about?" And I felt yeah. this like never enough girl, and this like so much, just so much. But of course, like I come from a lot of abuse that was going on in my childhood. My parents then got divorced. My mom was like, "Whatever, we all have like the baggage and the story." Sure but we skip over the feelings and then they turn into overthinking. They turn into obsessive thoughts because they go somewhere. They don't disappear.
1: They definitely go somewhere. Yeah. They they definitely go somewhere.
0: So it makes sense to me now that we're talking about it from all different angles that not only have you replaced it with these beautiful post-it notes and these mantras and all of that, but you've also been brave enough to listen for what's beneath these thoughts. Yeah. I I call it
1: pulling the thread. Like you pull the thread, like, okay, what's the thing behind the thing behind the thing. So if you tell me, you know, an example I put in the book is if you're like, oh, that person's the worst, I'd go, well, let's, we can't really (laughs) do much with that. Let's pull the the thread. And if you said, well, she got the promotion I wanted and she's not qualified. Like we might pull that thread and realize you want to be braver. Like you want to, you, you see what she did and you wish you were that brave and like, okay, well, let's talk about bravery. Like, let's talk about that. What does that mean? So yeah, I think there's a real value to pulling the thread. And that's, what's really fun to me about this, because I think like, I want to read you one, like I saw this one yesterday, cause I'm just seeing real responses from people. And I think this was a beautiful one. I won't say her name so that she's anonymous, but this woman posted yesterday, cause I teach about symbols. Like what's a symbol you can tie a soundtrack to. And she said, um, as I sit at my desk, I look at my son's football helmet from when he played at Texas a and I see it as a symbol of a new soundtrack. My broken soundtrack tells me being 5'11 and strong means I am too big. A new soundtrack tells me if you were not the size you are, your son would not have been able to go to college on a football scholarship as a left tackle. And so like, that's where you go, okay, it takes work. It does. But that's the kind of thought that like that person felt I'm a failure because I'm five. Like, You didn't stretch your bones out, but we're so mean to ourselves. Like she didn't do something wrong to become five eleven, but like having that new thought and go, Oh, that football helmet is a symbol of a good thing. Like a generational thing that I got to be part of. That's beautiful. That's not failure. So the, the three questions I teach people to ask when it comes to broken soundtracks are really simple. It's, is it true? Is this thing I'm saying to myself? True. Number two is, is it helpful? Does it push me forward or hold me back? And the third is, is it kind? If I said it to a friend, would they still want to be my friend? And I did a podcast the other day with somebody that said, I've had the number one podcast in my category for nine months. And my broken soundtrack is, I've been telling myself, you're just lucky. You're just lucky. You're just lucky. And they said, if a friend came over and told me they'd worked really hard to build something over a nine month period, I'd never go. You're just lucky. You're just lucky. So it kind of, Every podcast I've done at the, in the middle has turned into like, Oh, wait a second. Like we, like we jumped into some deep waters, but it's fun. And again, the thing might be true at the beginning. You might say like, I don't know how to do a podcast. That might be true. It might be, but is it helpful? Does repeating that over and over make you want to do a podcast more? Does it make you want to do a podcast less, but is saying that helpful is, is it kind to yourself? Like it's not. So if you can ask those three questions, Again, like it becomes this doorway into this great experience where I I really do believe if you change your thoughts, you can change your actions, which changes your results.
0: Oh my God, so much so. And just to reveal for myself, one of the things I've always struggled with is my marriage, where my work was like on fire. And I remember hearing people like Amy Porterfield and others saying things to me like, well, you usually don't have both. Like if you're having a season where your business is, you know, crushing it, this other, you know, shoe drops. And so I was always crushing it in my work. And my thought was always, Around my marriage, like I just don't see it as a possibility because my parents' marriage was so not good. And then when he was away, I started thinking, is that helping me? Because instead of that helping me, what it does is it helps me find the evidence that it's not going to be possible. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. Cognitive
1: bias. Your brain learns to look for the things it wants to look for.
0: Which then makes me feel like defeated before I even walk in the room, which makes me take different actions and all this stuff. And when he came back, it was the first time in forever because we were going through this funeral and all this stuff together where I was focused on him, right. Completely focused on him. And I said, I'm going to let this be a new point of creation for us from here on. And I'm going to focus on the evidence that like, there is a rhyme and reason my God put us together We have these, right. And he's awesome. And all these things, and I'm going to look for the evidence and Oh my God, like overnight, that bandwidth is just, I'm literally telling you that like we are back to like, he was my next door neighbor and best friend before we dated. We were literally friends and, and hung out. And now it's like, oh yeah. And I'm like, I can't believe how much time that thought took and made me suffer oh, yeah. because there was a like an upper limit there. It was really convenient to protect myself from really being open to receiving that, which I really didn't feel deserving of. And that's what's really interesting, John, is so many of the things that people want, they don't get because deep down, They don't feel worthy to receive the thing that they just asked for. They don't feel worthy to receive the money. They don't don't feel worthy to receive this love from somebody else. It's fascinating. And it brings me back to a conversation I had with someone who you're probably good friends with, Donald Miller. And we talked about, he said to me, love is not earned. And so many of us are wired for achievement the money will come if I earn it enough, if I'm good enough. And we never think we are. And therefore we don't feel worthy of having more or asking for more or receiving more. And that is really the ultimate thing that I see over and over and over again. I am not worthy of that, which I want.
1: I think that's an epidemic. I mean, and I I think that's where for me, that kindness comes in. Like it was interesting Google did a study where they, they were like, what are the best teams at Google have in common? Like, what are the like the best high performing teams? And they studied like 35 different statistical models, 180 teams, millions of dollars. And it came down to one thing, psychological safety. People on the best teams could ask a question and suggest an idea and make a mistake without being judged unkindly. And what I would argue is most of us don't have psychological safety with ourselves. Where, you know, an example that is, if you've ever before you even wrote an idea down said that's too dumb and not even written it down, it didn't even make it from your head to the piece of paper. That's your lacking psychological safety with yourself. You know, I tell people all the time about like losing weight, the heaviest thing you'll have to lose is the thoughts you have about yourself. Um, you know, like the goal of the book is I want to help somebody rewrite the story. They tell themselves about themselves because it's the story you'll hear more than any other story in your life. Like, I don't care if you've read Harry Potter a hundred times. I don't care if you love Star Wars, whatever the story you'll hear more than any other story in your entire life is the story. You tell yourself about yourself. What if it could be a kind story? Like we did this thing where we studied affirmations because I'm, I'm a skeptical person. Like I'm super like sarcastic, skeptical. I'm not, you know, I can be super negative. I asked a friend the other day, like what music do you listen to when you want to feel sad? And he's like, why would I ever do that? And I was like, Oh yeah. And me either. I don't have a, (laughs) you know, the live version around here by counting crows from the Sydney opera house on. No, no, that's dumb. That's weird anyway. And so I'm a kind of negative melancholy person. um, (laughs) But I kept bumping into all these people I respect to talk about affirmations and like all these successful people. If you get them off the podcast, like back, you know, stage, they go, yeah, I got a pep talk or yeah, I got some declarations. Yeah. I got a mantra. I was like, Oh, I'm going to have to study this. So I studied it. I tried it with Zig Ziglar's affirmations because he's kind of the godfather. Um, And then I interviewed Tom Ziglar, his son and tried to really find the holes and then we tested it. So we, I wrote my own 10 because I'm a writer and like one of them was I'm the CEO of me and I'm the best boss. Like I'm the CEO of me and I'm the best boss or the only one who's standing in my way is me. And I quit doing that yesterday. Mm -hmm. I'm the only one. And I quit that. Yes. Like that's over. And so like we practiced it and then we, the researcher and I, we went through and had, you know, 1400 people give us feedback who tried it and they decreased their self doubt. They increased their productivity. They decreased their overthinking. And so I just kind of came to a place where like, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm curious. I'm going to try this. I'm going to be open to it. And it's, yeah, it's been really fun to see all these people because there's 35 different stories of other people. <sighs> if I write a, like where my books have become fun for me is I have people that will test the ideas first before they hit a book. Because if I write a book without that, it ends up being almost like this memoir where you're like, I hope I can relate to this book. If my name is John Acuff, cause he's all the stories. But if I go Colleen Berry, was a receptionist in Boston. And she went from being receptionist to CEO. And I put that story in the first chapter and I'm like, look at like look at that. Then so many other people can go, oh, I see myself in that story. I see my story. And so that again, like I feel so excited about the book because I think it's going to be an idea I stay on for a long time. It's my seventh book, but like this one, I just, the response has been like something I haven't seen before. And I don't even mean that from a sales perspective. I just mean that from a like people are going, wait a second. I get it's Like we had a dude yeah. the other day, we did a thing where he said, we create a graphic old soundtrack versus new soundtrack. And a guy said, my old soundtrack was, I can't be a good dad because I didn't have a good dad. And then he wrote a new soundtrack. And like that guy's kids will be different. Like that's generational. 100%. Like, come on like that. I mean, as an author, you're like, what? And I got to see like to be a tiny part of that. That's fun.
0: One quick thing there, this was so good. I didn't want to go into all the other books because this one deserved the time, but in the past, you've written a lot about getting things done. And one of the soundtracks that people play is this, like, it has to be perfect. And if it's not, I'm not doing it. And so, so many people in our audience, like they want to start their podcast or start their bakery and they just don't. Cause it's so scary to think of making something mediocre. So what's your, cause I know you wrote a whole book about it, like getting things done and not being perfect. What would you say to that?
1: Well, one of them is that 80% perfect and shared with the world changes more lives than 100% perfect and stuck in your laptop. So, like, I think you got to give yourself the gift of the B minus. Like, I think, like, there's times (laughs) you should be like, because the problem with perfectionism is people would rather get a zero than a C minus. They'll go, I was going to run three miles today, but I only have time for two, so I'm going to do zero. And you go, well, you know, two is way more than zero. And so for me, like, I'm actually doing a challenge about perfectionism this online challenge. Cause I'm kind of going through and going, okay, what's a big soundtrack. Wow. Perfectionism is like, okay, how do I help people with that? Like, what does that look like? Um, and I talk about it a lot. I have a podcast. Like I was the same way. I had a podcast for eight episodes. I was like, it's not perfect. I don't like it. And so I quit. And then I started a new one. And I was like, no, it's going to be, it's going to be messy. Like one of mine is that I tell people is momentum is messy. Momentum is messy. It's always messy. So don't look at what you're doing and go, Oh, It's not perfect. Like for me, the other thing is like the third draft is always better. I'm afraid of the first draft. Or like I have 55 soundtracks that I've written down right on my wall that like as I hear them, as I collect them, like Brad Montague, I asked him, I was like, okay, let's talk perfectionism. You had a really successful thing that you did. Called Kid President and like yeah. Beyonce, you got like you met Beyonce, like you met Obama. Like, how do you create the next thing? Because it's a question I love to ask yeah. people who have been successful once. Because in Nashville, one of the broken soundtracks here is songwriters will tell you the best and worst day of your life is the day you hit number one with a song because then you have to repeat it, and that's a really toxic broken soundtrack. Yeah, and I asked Brad that, and I was like, "How do you create the next thing?" And he said, "For me, it's the question is, am I creating from love or for love?" From love is I create something because it's in me. I got to get it out there. It's from love for love is I expect a response from the audience to tell me I'm valuable enough. And he's like, that's when I, and dude, from love versus for love. Like that's one of the, like, you could hundred percent put that on post a note and remind yourself of that. So yeah. that's what I'd say to perfectionists. Um, you're not alone. Um, You're hundred percent not alone. I'm a perfectionist. Anytime I get something launched into the world, it's because I've wrestled down perfectionism for that day. So it's something I deal with every day of my life. And it's something that I'm learning. I've learned a bunch of techniques, a bunch of little tools. Another one I'd say is like, if you want a practical thing, time box yourself. So don't give yourself an hour and a half to work on it, give yourself 30 minutes. Like if you have to review something, give yourself 15 minutes. Like, because perfectionism will get get really, really loud. And then I'll give writers one because I love writers. I don't believe in writer's block. I believe in idea bankruptcy. And what I mean by that is never go to the blank piece of paper by yourself. Always show up with ideas. So collect ideas, bring ideas there. Perfectionism gets like you bring out a blank piece of paper. That is perfectionism's jam. Like perfectionism and be like that first sentence better be amazing. Uh, It better be the best sentence. Like whatever you're writing, whatever you're creating. So I always say like, be full of ideas and bring a lot of ideas. Show up with friends to a blank piece of paper.
0: I love it. Where can we find the five-day challenge and where can we find the podcast?
1: Yeah. So um, ACF.me is my website. So I'll I'll be putting that all over um, the challenge. And the podcast is called All It Takes is a Goal. I love goals. I'm a goal nerd. Um, Obviously, I talked about goals a lot today. I just think finishing a goal feels amazing. I want people to have that feeling. And like, that's why restaurants frame their first dollar bill. It's not the amount of money. It's like, they actually did it. The thing they did is out in the world. So that's what the podcast about. And then on, I'm just John Acuff on Instagram, John Acuff on Twitter, J-O-N, no, no H. But yeah, I think it's acuff.me and maybe slash is the best way. Um, but yeah, we're doing it in June and we did it. We did an overcoming overthinking one and nearly 10,000 people signed up for it. And it was free and it was five days and it was so fun. And the so good. Like, like one of the things that came up, this will be the last soundtrack. I, I know I'm like fire hosing. Uh, I'm just trying to out Rob Lowe, Rob Lowe. I don't know how many words he used, but I feel like it was probably a pretty good amount. <laughs> so this woman in the challenge said, hey, I believe this new soundtrack in my head, but not in my heart. What do I do? And that's a really common problem. I, mean, I know this thing logically. I know it, but I don't, I don't feel it. I'm not living out of it. And the soundtrack that I gave her was, remember, the head runs, the heart walks. Like the head will often get there first and the heart takes a little more time. And again, that's about giving yourself space. It's it's a 10 week you're sitting at the water. You didn't go. So I gave my heart that one day. I was like, get it together, heart. I need an ROI. Like, where's this going? You're like, no, it's going to be longer than that. So that's what I like about doing challenges is it's real people from around the world that go, I'm willing to go for that. Yeah, oh, well, so it.
0: good. We'll put a link to all of that in the show notes and and everything. Thank awesome. you for Thank you for such a, enriching, like just deep, vulnerable conversation. Thanks for being so real for sharing yourself with us. I know that people are already loving this book. I've seen it posted everywhere. And I'm so excited for, for this to start to be a movement where people are playing a new soundtrack. So thanks for helping make that happen.
1: Yeah. I'm excited that we get to be friends. That's been a fun, a fun thing for me to connect with people that are doing similar work. I think that's been a blast. I'd love to have you on my podcast. I'd love oh, to- John,
0: I'd love to I'm be on. Fun. It's a done deal. It's so perfect, nice of you to perfect. ask. Thank you for being here. John, this was great. I knew it you would be. You did it. How great is John, huh? By the way, if you want to see the conversation on video, you can go to the Kathy Heller YouTube channel because all of the episodes that we do, we actually record on Zoom and we post the videos so you can watch them whenever you want. All right. Here are the takeaways. Number one, if you can worry, you can wonder. If you can spin, you can soar. If you can doubt, you can dominate. Number two, you get to change your thoughts. They're not just something you have. they're something you hone. Number three, write down something you desire. Then listen to your first reaction. Every reaction is an education. Number four, fear gets a voice, but not a vote. Number five, it's better to whole hurt than half hope. Number six, the story you'll hear more than any other story in your life is the story you tell yourself about yourself. What if it could be a kind story? Number seven, 80% and shared changes more lives than 100% perfect and stuck on a laptop. Give yourself the gift of a B. And number eight, momentum is always messy. All right, now we're going to celebrate some of our made to do this alumni. Shoray said, I am $208 away from matching what I made last year in jewelry sales. Gosh, that's incredible. And we're not even halfway through the year. I'm so excited that your business is breaking through new ceilings and really thriving. So please keep us posted on how this continues to grow. Everyone can go check out her beautiful jewelry on Chevalier Jewelry. That's C-H-E-V-A-L-I-E-R, jewelry. All right. The next win is from Sherry. She said, I started my first piano for singers group class on Zoom on Saturday. I have three wonderful students in this flagship course. Thanks to made to do this for giving me the tools and the mind shift to get this done. It's only going to get bigger and better from here. Congrats, Sherry. That's so awesome. I'm so excited for you. And you're right. It's only going to get bigger and better because you're building the confidence and letting yourself step into the flow of where you're meant to be. And it's awesome. You guys can go give Sherry some love. Her Instagram is at piano for singers. All right. Now I'm going to announce today's giveaway winner. So we've been doing these giveaways every Monday and Thursday. If you want a chance to win a cute hoodie or a mug, just leave a review for the podcast on Apple podcasts, or you could just talk about the podcast on your Instagram and tag me at Kathy.Heller. So today's winner is Angela at let it be photo. And here's what she said. Every episode is filled with so much energy. What Kathy gives out to the world, we all need. Thankful to have found this podcast, which led me to made to do this. Life-changing. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh, Angela. That's so nice. Thank you for taking the time to write such a sweet thing. Thank you guys all for listening. Seriously, I know that you have a billion things going on. It really means so much that you're here. And I'd love to see you in the five-day free challenge. It's called Your Soul's Calling. You can go ahead and sign up at kathyheller.com slash challenge. And if you don't want to miss the awesome episodes we have coming up, then definitely subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify or wherever you listen. And if you want to be entered into a giveaway, then leave a review for the show. Lastly, did this episode resonate with you? Can you think of one person who's struggling with the soundtracks in their head that might benefit from hearing this? If so, then share it email them the link or text it to them or post about the show on your Instagram and tag me at Kathy.Heller so I can repost as many as I can. And also tag John. He's at John Acuff. John is J-O-N. And let him know. Let him know that these words really impacted you. I'd love for him to know that our listeners really were resonating with what he was saying. I'll leave you with a song of mine and I'll talk to you tomorrow.